0: Welcome to another special edition of our Seat Yourself podcast. As followers of Seat Yourself know, this episode will be a different format than our regular weekly edition, and it will feature a single guest. In this special edition, our host, Dave Turner, will be having a conversation with David Haber. David is the former president and CEO of D.W. Haber & Son, which was acquired earlier this year by Steelite International. In the conversation, Dave talks to David about the journey that he went through leading up to the sale of his family-owned company after more than 100 years of being in business. This episode runs approximately 45 minutes and is sponsored in part by the Edward Donnell Company, everything but the food for nearly 100 years. Now, here's Dave.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Seat Yourself. I'm Dave Turner, I'm your host here at Seat Yourself, and today we're back bringing you another special edition episode of our Seat Yourself podcast. In late September, you may recall that in one of our regular Stat of the Week segments, we spoke about how the financial firm UBS had done a survey whose results showed that nearly half, yes indeed half, of all small business owners have no exit strategy, none whatsoever. Not good. Not good especially in these times where mergers and acquisitions are happening at every level, in every segment, and nearly every week throughout our global hospitality industry. So we decided to see what we could do to help the many entrepreneur owners of our companies in our industry to better understand, number one, the importance of having an exit strategy and all that goes with developing one, and number two, should you decide to sell your company, what some of the realities of that particular journey might possibly be. So for today's episode, we've asked former D.W. Haber & Son President and CEO, David Haber, to join us for the entire episode. Many of you industry insiders, you know David, and perhaps you know him personally. And you'll also know that, earlier this year, he sold his company to Steelite International. Well, David has been gracious enough to join us in this conversation and to answer some of the real-world questions. Questions about developing an exit strategy and questions about the journey he went through as he came to the decision that it was indeed time to sell the family company and just how that decision came to be. You'll also hear about some of the many emotional peaks and valleys that David Haber went through while on that journey. And finally, we wanted to hear what advice David might have for other entrepreneur owners who might be considering a similar journey of their own. Again, with all the changes happening in our industry, we've thought that there may be some of the many owners of companies out there that have given at least some thought to what might an exit plan for their situation might look like and what might lie ahead if they would begin their own journey, similar to David's, and attempt to sell the company. It was a great conversation, and here's how it went. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Turner again, and I want to welcome David Haber, to seat yourself. And today we're going to have a special edition with David. Uh, David, as you uh, may know, he's well known in our industry and is the former president and owner of D.W. Haber & Son. And it's a hundred plus year old family company. And I thought it would be interesting if David could share some of his experiences as he's in the past year has sold his company to Steelite International. And I think uh, there's a lot of consolidation and mergers and acquisitions in our, in our industry these days. And David, I really appreciate you coming on here this morning and uh, letting us in on some of the insights and some of the experiences that you had as you went down that journey to sell the family company. So welcome to seat yourself. Sure. Happy to
2: be here. Thanks, Dave.
1: First question right out of the box. Uh, you took over a family business that's over 100 years old. How did you get to that decision that it was now was the time, and how did that go when you sat down with the family to talk about all that, or just you know was that was that a shock to people, or was that sort of uh, something that they were expecting and just didn't know when, or how did how did it go?
2: No, I would say shock would be the right way to explain it. You know, it's interesting. You know, growing up in a family business, especially you know being a fourth generation. In a business, you know, something I was always nervous my whole life, whether I was, you know, I had the guilt of if I wasn't going to take over the company, you know, that I would be responsible for ending this, you know, almost 100 year old family business. So there was, you know, a lot of pressure there, even though my dad never pressured me to go into the business, but that's another story.
1: The pressure you felt came from within you. Absolutely.
2: And, you know, so I came back to work for my dad at one point just to help him out for a year when he was struggling. And that was in 1992, and I figured I would do it for a year, but never really thought that was what I was going to do for a living. And, you know, here I am 27 years later, so things kind of don't always go as you expect. But, you know, the, the whole transition really was, you know, I'd been working with Steelite on a global marketing program, and I was trying to get Steelite to distribute Haber globally. We had been trying to do that for years on our own. But as a small company, it's just a lot harder for small businesses to expand around the world because it just, it's a very expensive proposition and you need you know, a big investment. And it's something that we're doing piecemeal, but it was never really a global plan. So I was excited a couple of years ago, sitting with John Miles at the NRA show, talking about our plan when he dropped this bomb that they don't want to do the marketing program. He wanted to buy the company. I was horrified. I said, it's not for sale. And, you know, they just kind of ended the meeting and I left all deflated saying, you know, we just lost that opportunity and I moved on. I never really thought about it at that point, to be honest. And then it it was probably a few months after that, my accountants came in to my office one day to introduce me to a wealth management company that they just were very impressed with and they... Introduce me. And they asked me all these questions about, you know, the value of the business and your cash flow and your investment and what about the building that you guys are in and what is the value of that? You know, all these questions that I never really considered. And so it got me thinking, as you know, and I told them somebody did offer to buy the company and they said, well, why wouldn't you consider selling the company? I said it's a family business and you know I got to have it in case my sons want to take it over someday. So it was never in my thought process that I would or could ever sell the company. But I started talking to my dad because we talk all the time, you know, on my way home from work and you know he retired back in 2002. He's in Florida.
1: For those people out in there that would be listening that would know your dad. How's your dad doing these days?
2: He's doing great yeah he really is he's good he's he's 84 uh, happily retired and you know keeping busy good him. Good him. <laughs> doing his little engineering projects so he's he's always busy you know and we talk all the time and you know so when i brought up this conversation with the wealth management company uh, my dad said well that's crazy he said you know you have this business if you're struggling you reinvent and you come up with new products and that's what we do and I said, you're right, you're right. It is crazy. I continued to do what I do. And, you know, being in an old 100-year-old silver business manufacturing, you know, the, the reality in my world was people don't want metal on their banquets anymore. So I was, you know, really struggling to come up with alternative banquet equipment and colorful things. And, you know, I bought the Kenny Mac.
1: Yeah, the Kenny, Mar- Kenny Mac line was uh, a nice addition. Yeah, so that was a really big help,
2: I think, to to bring, you know, fresh colors and exciting products to D.W. Haber. We brought on modern twist placemats, which also got great, you know, feedback from our customers. And then doing, you know, the cast iron color shafers. And then we did the Teflon coated shafers. So we were, you know, really constantly trying to revitalize the brand. And and fortunately, it was, it was working great and things were, you know, successful. And then, you know, so I was talking to my dad about it and I said, look, things are good. But honestly, I'm not happy. And and I realized, you know, and talking to my family about it as well, that, you know, I lost the optimism that I always had for the future. And, you know, I've been doing this a long time. And even through the worst of times, when I thought we were going out of business, I really felt that same optimism that I knew I could turn it around. You know, I knew I had what it took to get this to the next level. And it was just a struggle. And I told my dad, you know, this is the first time that things are good, but I'm not
1: optimistic. (laughs) It's interesting. Interesting. It's a, it's a very, uh, it's a time of change in our industry. And uh, I really appreciate uh, the inside, uh, inside look at your thinking, because I really think that there's so many so many owners and entrepreneurs in our industry that may be in that same position you just described and don't quite know what to do. And that's why this conversation I think is going to be so important for, for many, many people. So I appreciate all that. And it's, uh, it's interesting that you are still optimistic. Uh, well, the things were good and you, and, and you weren't as optimistic as you had been perhaps when things weren't quite as good. Yeah, it is
2: <clears throat> strange. And this is why my wife really struggled with my decision to sell the company. And she's like, but you're making good money. Why would you want to sell this business? Like, this is our life. And, and, you know, and it's funny, it was my, my kids who pointed out more so that they thought that I was stressed out. And they said the last couple of years, I haven't been myself. And that I've been stressed and I never see myself as being stressed or certainly bringing home any of my stress to the family. And so to hear that from my kids telling me that, oh, yeah, dad, you've been so stressed. And they've never said that to me before. And then my wife said, yeah, I guess you have been really stressed.
1: Well, that that brings up a good point, David, because <clears throat> sometimes we all get so close to these businesses that we may not see the change in ourselves. And perhaps it takes somebody from uh, outside uh, to come back and say, hey, <laughs> it's not going uh like it used to go with you you've changed or, or something like that and it's interesting that your your own family uh were selling you that so that's that that's also an eye-opener too
2: yeah no question about it and it was it was shocking and really surprising to me to to hear that you know because you really see yourself in a different way and and like you said you get so caught up in what you do that you you don't you, it's hard to look at it from the outside and Especially when it's a family business.
1: David, every every situation, I know every situation is unique and and I'm not asking you to um, give up the formula to Coca-Cola here uh, or anything that's uh, obviously very uh, um, confidential. But when you sell a company, especially one that's so closely aligned with you and your family in a per- such a real personal way, you, you really need a lot of help from trusted resources. Where, what are some of the issues you went through? Because you had a team of people, I suppose, just accountants, lawyers, doctors, Indians, chiefs, and all that, helping you on a regular basis. But how did you find the right people to help you put together uh, a package, so to speak, uh, to make your company uh, sellable?
2: I mean, for starters, I've always used a lot of outside help. You know, especially since my dad retired so many years ago, I was kind of on my own running this company. So. I hired a personal business advisor many years ago, and you know, so he was actually there through this whole transition, which was really helpful for me to have someone who had, you know, sold their company many years ago, and you know, he was somewhat experienced. And I've read a lot of books about selling your company, so I think that's that's critical to really have an insight into you know all the things of trying to know keep up your profit and 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 do a lot of the things to to build value in a business as far as getting help yeah that is absolutely critical i was incredibly lucky that it was just coincidental that a friend who i was introduced to in my neighborhood had just sold his family business and he was in the process of closing on his business that took him like a year to sell very similar size company and so he gave me all of his resources and the people that he interviewed, the people he hired, the people he didn't hire. So I was, you know, it was just a phenomenal wealth of information. And since he was going right through it, it was, you know, I had such a great sounding board uh, to work with. One of the most important things in this type of uh, transaction is to get an M and A advisor. And I can't stress enough how important
1: that is. That that would be different from somebody you might trust and rely on as a resource in your ongoing everyday business activities?
2: Absolutely. Like my, my personal business advisor who I've been with for like 15 years, and he sold his company, but he, he was not an M&A advisor. And it's a very specific set of credentials for people who do that for a living. And typically the most important thing that you're going to get from an M&A advisor, which is the biggest part of it, is finding the right buyer.
1: Is the M and A advisor that you're describing is it is it an attorney? Is it an accountant? Is it could be could it be either?
2: Well, yeah. So in my situation, this particular M and A advisor became my accountant. So he has an accounting firm, and so but he was my advisor, and he was not a typical M and A specialty advisor who is out who finds you the right buyer. So that is a different group that I never had to hire because, you know, after reading all the books and uh, about finding the right buyer and how critical that is. And the difference of selling your company to a random buyer or private equity group who's just looking for another cash flow income versus a strategic buyer, where it makes a big difference. And they, you know, like Steelite and DW Haver was a strategic acquisition. And we, you know, unfortunately shut down my factory and moved everything over there. And, you know, they had the resources to turn into a global company, which is, you know, by definition, you know, the strategic. Sure. I mean, it's a win-win
1: for both sides.
2: Yeah. So I had that strategic buyer already, so I didn't need that. But, you know, but if you're looking to sell your company, I think that is the most important thing to get is a good M&A advisor who can help you find the right buyer. And that buyer might be in Europe or somewhere else around the world and somebody's trying to get into this market. And so, you know, you got to think outside the box and not just look at the one person who maybe asked you to buy the company. Because I had other people asking to buy the company, you know, so I did have other alternatives. But, you know, I knew inside that, that Steelite was really the best strategic buy for Haber in the future and all that. But talking about advisors, so m and advisor was critical. Finding the right attorney is the next step. And, you know, unfortunately, I had my friend's advice who hired the most expensive attorney with the biggest firm. And he figured, you know, he's got one chance to do this. He wants to do it right. And he hired the best. They charged him almost a half a million dollars at the end of the year. And he was just horrified. He couldn't believe how much he spent on his attorney fees. And he deeply regretted not hiring this other firm that he really felt he should have hired. And he spoke to this guy who ended up being a friend of his from the other firm. And he, you know, urged me to go interview that other firm. And he said, don't even interview my firm. So that was particularly helpful. And I interviewed a bunch of different firms and actually had my, my PBA go with me on these interviews with attorneys. And that was really helpful to get, you know, his guidance and feedback as well. So, you know, I, I just, I find it really helps to have people around you to give you advice
1: To make sure I heard you right, uh, what you're saying is really, it's really more the fit than it is the size of the firm or um, maybe uh, what they, you know, all the mergers and acquisitions they've done, you know, maybe they, uh, fit is more important, let's say, than the the prestige or uh, whatever of the firm that you would entertain as an attorney.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you have to like, the people that, you know, you're working with, because it's a very long, arduous process. And, you know, it's important to to feel good about the people you're working with and, and also to feel that they're trying to do the right thing for you, you know, kind of watching your budget. And that's unusual for a, a, a law firm, honestly. But, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to find one who really worked and kind of, you know, they gave me a budget of what they thought it could be. And a year and a half later, they came in at their budget it's quite surprising.
1: Speaking of uh, timelines and how long things take or whatever, how long was it from the time that you decided you might start exploring options until the time the deal finally closed? And I think the deal closed uh, more or less in May of uh, of uh, this past year. But how long ago did you start? Just to give give uh, others out there who may be thinking about this, a sense of what this journey might be like.
2: Well, that first meeting with, with John Miles was at in May of 2017. So it was two years prior when he first brought up the idea of, you know, we want to buy your company. And it was actually November after that, about six months later, five months, six months, where we sat down for the first time to actually talk about selling the business. So then it was about a year and a half in the process.
1: But there was a six month time frame because <clears throat> my word, you didn't say this, but you were uh, surprised, shocked, or, or, or you had some negative feeling when you were trying to put together a distribution deal, and John had suggested that uh, make it an acquisition instead. So, there's a six month time frame that you went through a lot of emotional uh, ups and downs, I would suspect.
2: Oh, yeah, to say the least.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a that, but that's nor I, I think that's normal. I mean, this is your baby, this is your family's baby. Yeah,
2: it you know, coming up to make that decision is it's incredibly emotional and stressful and, you know, but ultimately having the support of, of your family and especially, the, you know, like my dad who owned the company before and ran the company, you know, I, I could not have done it if my dad wasn't hundred percent behind it. There's no way I would have made that decision. So that's, you know, that's
1: personal, but. But I, but I think in, in, in terms of anybody who's thinking about, Doing something with their company, merging it, acquiring it, uh, another one, or just just selling it outright. Uh, I I think there is a lot of emotion that goes into it. These are, uh, in our industry, you have a lot of what, and I'm going to call them small, under $100 million companies, under $50 million companies. And in those companies, you know, they, they, you, they're, everybody's lives are, are intertwined with that. And the family's lives are intertwined, and especially when they're 100 years or more old. And, and I, I want people to understand that, uh, first of all, <clears throat> that the emotions that they may or may not go through, I mean, those emotions are, are normal, ups, downs, sideways, and, uh, um, but they have to be dealt with. I, I think there's a lot of tough decisions.
2: One of the biggest issues, you know, mentally and emotionally in that decision is, you know, how can you do this to your employees? You know, these people that have been with you for 30 years and, you know, you spent your life with these people and, you know, you're affecting so many other people's lives. So it's not just worrying about your own future, but you got to worry about everybody else. And I think that's really hard for small business owners because it, it is personal and, You know, so I had a a lot of people to talk me off of that ledge that, you know, you can't live your life making bad decisions because you're trying to be responsible for other people. You want to do the right thing for these people and do the best you can to help them move on. But that's not the reason to keep a company.
0: As a reminder, this special edition of Tabletop Journal's Seat Yourself podcast is brought to you in part by the Edward Donovan Company everything but the food for nearly 100 years now back to the podcast
1: so David again uh, a lot of ups and downs who did you rely on most on some of that emotional stuff was it outside uh, those trusted outside advisors or were it more family and personal members
2: yeah you know that was a combination for sure it was a lot of a lot of friends other professionals my advisors my family you know I'm I talked about this to death to so many different people, you know, to, to come up with that decision because it is, you know, it's honestly the biggest decision you'll ever make in your life as a business owner. So it's, you know, you just, you can't ask enough people for advice, honestly.
1: In speaking about emotions, we've, we've talked about some of the emotion that you had uh, just arriving at the decision to sell, you know, th- that decision itself. Uh, Is there anything else uh, that uh, would be you think might be helpful to others in the same situation and uh, that they should uh, consider uh, when it comes to getting to the decision finally to to actually look for a buyer? Emotionally, again, it's, you know, first, you know, you you think about
2: your yourself, you know, running this company. And it's almost like, does this define you as a person? Because it's kind of who you are you know, D.W. Haber is the brand, but it's me. And you kind of put yourself in that. And, and then the idea of like, well, if I don't have that anymore, you know, who am I? What do I do? So, you know, kind of trying to think about yourself outside of the business. You never realize how much the business takes over your world, you know? And um, so just coming up with that concept.
1: The day after the sale closes, what do I do when I get up in the morning? Where do I go? What What's my job?
2: Yeah. I mean, look, I, I was happy that, you know, Steelite gave me a, a two year agreement to, you know, to stay on and and you know, and I'm honestly hoping that, you know, I continue after that working with Steelite. You know, that's a whole other thing. And one of the reasons why I wanted to do the deal with Steelite is because I really respect what, what John Miles has created. You know, it's kinda of like the all star team of the industry and it's just so many great Salespeople and and managers who are working there, and it's just a, it's a really exciting place to be, you know. And that is a, a big part of of making this decision as well. That you know, can you see yourself in this company? And you know, people. Most of my advisors warned me that, hey, they're going to get rid of you once the deal's over. You're done. Nobody wants to keep the old CEO. But you know, so maybe that's unrealistic. <laughs> I hope. And, and, you know, you have to be okay. And if that happens, that's fine too. And, th- and that's where you have to put yourself that, you know, you can be fine either way. But, you know, that's it's an emotional process.
1: David, when we saw each other in Italy at the host show in Milan, you look pretty comfortable in the eye booth, I have to say. That's just that's my personal observation. <laughs> I'm not a professional, but but uh, I, I think it's a good fit and I hope it works out for as long as uh, you everybody wants it to.
2: I am very, I am very happy. And, you know, it, it really is. It was the most stressful the year and a half going through the process far and away, the most stressful year of my entire world. You know, and one of the things that, you know, I forgot to mention, but you know, like my friend told me, he said, Dave, it's like having two full-time jobs. And, you know, so you figure people say that. Sure. It was absolutely two full-time jobs going through the process because you have to run your business and that takes up a full-time job, as you know, for any business owner. And then trying to, you know, sell the business and go through the amount of data that is required to to close on a transaction like that. It's mind blowing. I was working, you know, 16 plus hours a day, seven days a week for months. So it's incredibly stressful and you, you gotta be ready to go through that process and and it's hard work. Hopefully it you know, pays off in the end. You know, and one of the things that, that people tell you in the process is that you have to run your business as if your deal is going to fall through. And that is so true. I went through this process, you know, in the beginning the first time and we thought we were going to close back in 2018. You know, as as, or as like February or March. We thought we might close. And and then there were some other, you know, things that the private equity group was dealing with. So they had to table the deal for almost a year. And so, you know, incredibly stressful and emotional after going through that whole thing. A lot lot of peaks and valleys. Yeah. Getting ready to make that change. And and then all of a sudden, you got to go back to running your company again. And so complete mindset and said, all right, I got to do this. And- you know, really change your life around and say, all right, I got to do this. And then as much as you hear people telling you to run your business and keep running your business, you still can't help but to cut back on so many things like advertising, marketing, product development, new hires and accounting and all these positions where, you know, we needed hires and my staff's yelling at me, like, why aren't you hiring a new warehouse manager? And why don't we have anybody in accounting? And I had all these excuses as said, well, I just got to get through this something right now and cash well, flow. And, you know, and it was like one excuse after the other. And and then when all of a sudden the deal fell through, I was like, wow, I really wasn't doing what I was supposed to do. So you you think you're listening, but, <laughs> but you're not. And, You know, and that really hit me in the face because I had to go for almost a year and go right back into doing all these stuff again. And then on a personal level, you know, where I had opportunity to hire somebody, but they were going to quit their job to come and work for me. And on a human level, I couldn't do that knowing that I was about to go back to sell the company. And, you know, in some hindsight, I kind of regret it because we really did struggle and things were got a bit messier, you know, with inventory and the collections because we didn't bring on
1: accounting help. It's those balancing the two jobs at once kind of thing, two full time jobs at once kind of thing, I suppose. A quick question uh, also, talking about uh, maybe some of the emotional uh, parts and maybe some of the more administrative parts of, uh, if you can, on how you put an appropriate value on something that is uh, such an emotional asset as a family company. How how do you go about doing that? You know,
2: I, I honestly think you have to take emotion out of it, as hard as that is. Emotionally, I think your business is worth four times. What it's really worth, you know. I think that's where it really helps to have, you know, the the trusted advisors and, and accountants and people who, you know, can help you put a value on the business and and then you know look at alternative scenarios of the, the different strategic options and how that might change your your EBITDA and because that's you know what so much of this works down to so. You know, But then you have goodwill and all that stuff. So you you do have to put a, somewhat of an emotional value on it, but but you really have to look at what's realistic. And one of the biggest help that I got, I have to say, was from the wealth management company who, not that they gave me the value of the company, but, but they were able to do very sophisticated financial modeling of what my life financially would look like for the next 100 years, 50 years. If I didn't have this business and I made the sale and, you know, a lot of different scenarios and, and, and without having that information, I don't know that I would have had the courage to, to do what I did.
1: Wow. That's, uh, you know, you, you really are are making the point over and over again about relying on uh, trusted people, trusted resources, particularly ones outside your family for certain things, but then. Also, your family very much for a lot of that emotional support. It's a tough decision, I think, to to come to. And I think there are many people probably in our industry, if they're not currently thinking about it, they probably uh, will be soon. And, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really sure, uh, we're not through this conversation yet, but I'm sure even the things that we've talked about already will be very, very helpful to them. So I really appreciate you, um, being as honest and as candid as you are today. It's it's really going to be helpful for a lot of people. I'm sure.
2: Sure. Yeah. Look, I I hope it helps. I know it's, it's a very difficult decision and a difficult process, but it, it can be beneficial.
1: Okay. I've got, I've got a crazy, we've been talking about all the serious stuff. I've got a crazy question for you now of all the possible selling, uh, you know, ideas that you came up with that came maybe onto your radar screen or people suggested to you, how many different crazy scenarios did you have? Or how, was it just, one, there couldn't have been just one, uh, when, when, you know, when you started really focusing on, on steel, light, I'm sure at the end, it got down to that. But in the beginning, there must've been a, lots of different scenarios that you could see.
2: Yeah. I mean, there, there there was a few, um, you know, one of the crazy things I know my, my dad was pushing me, you know, instead of selling a company was to, you know, do something different with the company, like, you know, manufacture skis because he knows I was you know really into the world of skiing and the ski industry. So, you know, I actually considered (laughs) doing that and changing D.W. Haber into a silver slash ski company and, you know, looking at, just different ways to, to change it up and grow the business. And, and then considering other offers for, you know, people who wanted to buy the company or people who wanted to, you know, do more of a, a shared ownership type of thing, like larger. And, but there weren't, you know, there weren't that many things that I took seriously. And I guess I was unusual in that situation where, you know, I think I had the right buyer from the beginning, right? Because this whole process started with, with Steelite asking to buy the company. So, you know, I had to compare everything to that and it just kind of made sense for me. So I kept going back to that.
1: No, no really crazy off the wall uh, 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 ideas other than a ski company. Huh? That's pretty crazy though. You know, when you think about that, you got Haber, a ski company, uh, that's that's pretty crazy. I, think. I know. I like the idea of having DW
2: Haber skis, you know, while I was Okay.
1: No, it's great. I, I, I think it is good. And, and, and to be honest with you, I think probably uh, there were times during the process, as stressful as it, I'm sure it was, that you need some of those crazy ideas to keep it light and keep it moving along.
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You definitely <laughs> got to light things up because it's a heavy process.
1: Yeah, it is a heavy process. It's been about two, two-ish years uh, since you started that journey that you and your family were going to try and realize the value in the company. Uh now that all that's in the rearview mirror, what do you know now that you wish you'd known when you started the journey? You know, it's interesting. I
2: I have to say I don't have any, you know, regrets in in the sense of, you know, that I did things wrong and I wish that things went quicker than they did, because I think that was the hardest part. Honestly, I think I mentioned it earlier, like the idea of running your business, right? And and the amount that I cut back on in the beginning, which, you know, it's kind of biting me on, you know, like the collections was one of my biggest problems that, you know, I didn't realize when we needed to hire a new accounting staff. And I kept saying, well, let's hold off that our collections were about the worst they'd ever been. And I didn't realize it until we were going to close and they were like, well, Hey, what happened there? <laughs> you know, you, you kind of lose sight of some of the, the core parts of your business and, You know, so that would be my biggest regret was staying on top, keeping your books clean and stay on top of of the the financial details and, you know, don't cut back too much.
1: Well... David, I, I, again, I appreciate uh, your time uh, and, and, and your honesty and candor in disclosing all this uh, about the process and the journey that you went through. As we uh, start to wrap it up, are there any three points uh, that you might want to give to others, uh, other people in our industry who are out there and are considering the possibility of, of going down the same path that you went down? Any, anything, any piece of it? You've touched on a bunch of different things, but anything in the particular uh, that stand out?
2: I mean, I don't know that there's anything that that we didn't sort of cover, right? With with the general concept of of, of selling your business and, the, and going through the process. But you know, the first thing, like I was saying, is that motto of run your business as if you're not going to sell your business. You do have to keep running that business, and you know, keep your books clean, stay on top of your collections, and and don't let things slide because. Even though you think the deal is going to close next month, it, it could fall apart and it could drag on for years. And then you don't want to hurt your business future. So that is definitely uh, one of my best pieces.
1: It could drag on for months or not ever happen too.
2: It, exactly. My advisors kept warning me because of how long my deal was going on that you got to stop trying to work with these people and go find another buyer. And you know, and honestly, because I knew John Miles personally, and I knew his intentions were what they were, you know, I kept telling my advisors, "No, it's okay. It will happen. You know, I just have to be patient." My advisors were not so patient. You know, they wanted me to go just work on a deal. So you have to go with your gut and listen to your advisors, but you also have to go with your gut. And what I mentioned before, you know, with um, you know getting the best advisors and doing a lot of research. I mean, you can't do enough research. There's great books out there, but I can't stress enough, you know, finding the right M&A advisor, you know, great lawyer. And, you know, I can't speak highly enough about the, like the wealth management company. And, you know, I never realized what a big piece that is in the process of kind of knowing what your future is going to look like. critical.
1: Yeah. Having the right team around you. uh, And when I, and I stress the word, right, having the right team around you sounds like uh, it's a big part of it. And there's no doubt that every situation, every situation where a company is bought or sold is unique and there are unique issues and unique personalities involved, especially, and just generally unique aspects to it. So, but uh, again, I really, I really appreciate you coming on here and telling us a little bit about your journey so that it may help other people. And we did a thing on Seat Yourself uh, recently talking about uh, the financial people at USB. Uh, oh, UBS, excuse me, uh, talking about 40, I think it's 48% of um, small business owners actually have an exit plan. And that means that uh, more than half of them don't. And, uh, I think an exit plan is, uh, whether you decide to, uh, uh, execute that plan or not is something else, but to, ha- to have an exit plan, I think in these days and times, uh, is particularly in our business where, as I said before, there's so many, uh, smaller companies, independently owned, uh, you know, owner, uh, owner manager type situations, I think is really, really important to have an exit plan.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. And, uh you know, my exit plan before this came up was uh, that was my kid's problem. <laughs> <And> <laughs> let them figure it out. Uh, and there was thing you know, with advice I forgot to mention to keep in your budget as you're going through this deal is that you really want to take care of your employees and go above and beyond to do the best you can for the people who work for you. And, you know, it, it's such a stressful process and, you know, I didn't quite get into that, but, you know, going back to the emotional side of it, all these things you go through in your head that you say, oh, I can do this. I'm going to sell the company and it's all, you know, in theory and all that and the stress and the work, but the hardest part and the most stressful part for me far and away over everything else was the day I had to go in and tell my employees that I'm selling the company. You know, just beyond emotional wreck. And and so it, it felt good for me, at least, that at the end of the day, I felt like I did the best I could for everybody. And, you know, I think at the end, as upset as everyone was, you know, I think they appreciated that, I, you know, I, I took care of them and, you know, they, they know that I did the best I could to help everyone financially and to find jobs. And it means a lot. And I think it's something that can give you some peace in a very difficult emotional decision.
1: I think you said it uh, best, David. Uh, it's probably the biggest decision you'll make in a lifetime, other than perhaps uh, finding a spouse. Absolutely. It, it is uh, owning a business is a bit like having a new spouse or having a second spouse. Uh, but there's an awful lot of emotion tied up in that. And you've been terrific today sharing all that. And I really appreciate your time. And uh, um, we may come back to you in the future with questions that people will have after hearing this. And hopefully uh, we'll be able to, uh, to help some people. In this business because this is a business that's evolving and changing. I'm glad to hear that you're going to still be in it for uh, a long, long time because I think you're a huge asset to this business. And I'm uh, looking forward to uh, seeing great things from uh, the Haber line now with Steelite. So David, thank you very much for joining us here and seat yourself today. It's really been a, a pleasure to have you. You bet. Anytime. Thanks so much.
0: We want to thank David Haber for joining us and sharing with us insights from his journey of selling his company to Steelite International. And we especially want to thank you for joining us for this special edition of our Seat Yourself podcast. You can find all episodes of Seat Yourself at SeatYourselfPodcast.com. And finally, we want to thank the Edward Donnan Company for sponsoring, in part, this special edition of Seat Yourself. Edward Donnan Company, everything but the food for nearly 100 years. And always remember, Tabletop Matters.